You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Tracking the Storm podcast. My name is Brandon Stanley at BWStanley26 on Twitter. Joined by Matthew Soma, a.k.a. Kane's Prospects, and Alex, also known as Future Kane's. So, we are recording at about 10.30 at night. We just watched a interesting game against the Florida Panthers. Um... The Alex Nedeljkovic game. Why don't we just go ahead and call it that? Nate just deserves a shout out. But Alex Nedeljkovic is the reason the Carolina Hurricanes won that hockey game. I don't think I'm out of line in saying that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I tweeted out, and I, I got heat for this on Twitter by somebody who I could tell you definitely didn't watch the game. Um, and it's I tweeted saying that the Hurricanes are once again wasting another quality start from Alex Ndokovic. And it's the second game in a row that they had done that. They had the absolute stinker against Tampa where Ned stood on his head for the entire game. And then they ended up getting shut out three, nothing. Right. Right. And then you've got this game where for two, through two periods, it was a one, nothing Canes lead. And then the third period, the Canes just sucked. <laughs> I mean, there is no way around it. They were bad. And you you get, honestly, kind of a gift goal, which off of a really nice feed from Nino Niederreiter. And that might have been one of his best passes as a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. And then you get, you know, like the Trocheck goal and everything. And then Aho was Aho and made just a beautiful, just chef kiss pass. But all that aside... You have an absolutely terrible third period where the Hurricanes are running around like a team that has zero identity. And it's honestly unacceptable. Oh, I, I totally agree, man. Like, you have a young goalie that's trying to establish himself at the NHL level. And in how many instances do we see the Hurricanes go up against the team? Their goalie is standing on their head all night. And that gives them a huge lift. Where is that? Well, I, I mean, uh, look no further than Chris Drieger in that tonight for Florida. I mean, he was pretty sensational, him and Nedeljkovic going at it all night. I mean, it's kind of crazy when you think, you know, if you have Bobrovsky making $10 million sitting on the bench, you've got Reimer making about four or five times what Nedeljkovic is making. Those guys are on the bench. And you've got, you know, a, a great, great goaltending duel going on tonight. I mean, I can't say enough good about Nedeljkovic, especially – 
going back to about the last three games, his two games against Tampa, and then tonight he's made he's only allowed four goals on 97 shots in that time, so 93 saves. That's a 959 save percentage. I mean, he's just been absolutely wow. outstanding. Yes. Um, I, t- I tweeted out, I said, um, that's probably been the best three-game stretch um, from a Canes goaltender that I've seen probably since, you know, that Mirazic in- incredible run back in 2019 leading up to the playoffs that year. And I just, I can't say enough about him. I said on, I said on Twitter as well that, you know, if he's, if Nadelkovich hasn't won the backup role now based off, you know, his play versus James Reimer's play of late when Peter Mrazek is back, hopefully sooner than later. Um, is he ever going to win the job at this point? I mean, what more do you really have to see to, you know, just give this kid the reins and like, let him go with it. Do you think it's a matter of the money that they've invested into Reimer? And do you think that might be like the reason why they're so hesitant? That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, that that's a definitely a fair point to look at it, but if you think back to two years ago when they had uh, Curtis McElhenney, Peter Morozik, and as well as Scott Darling, who was making the most of the bunch, uh, they had no hesitations waving Scott Darling because he was playing as the worst of the three. I mean, yeah, he was flat out bad, though. I mean, this is, I mean, we're not dealing with a Darling situation here. Thank we're God. we're not, but I think it's pretty clear <laughs> games, from. I think it's pretty clear watching the games that you know <laughs> Nedeljkovic is just. He's definitely in more of a rhythm than Reimer right now. I mean, Reimer's definitely fighting the puck out there. And, you know, like I just it's weird to me as well because the team is just playing so much better for Reimer. I've seen a stat today that no goalie um, in the NHL right now has better goal support than James Reimer. Uh, the Hurricanes are averaging almost four goals per game um, with Reimer in net as compared to, you know, with these three incredible Nedeljkovic performances they only scored six goals in total with one of those being an empty netter despite the incredible performance from Nedeljkovic. So I, it's just very weird to me how, you know, Reimer, it, I, I just think if the tables were turned and Reimer was getting the same kind of support from the Hurricanes that Nedeljkovic has been getting, I think it would be a lot worse uh, for Reimer and every, everybody brings up the record, but I think it's more in spite of how the team's playing as like opposed to how he's playing specifically. I agree with you. I am just going to reiterate something that I've said multiple times. Goaltending is so much about who is on and you can ride a hot hand so far. And right now that guy is Alex Nadelkovich. And when Peter's back, if he gets sent to the taxi squad over Reimer, unless things drastically change between now and then, I'm going to be really irritated. I'm just going to say that. Because, I mean, you're looking at a guy who is 25 years old. He's close to entering his prime. And, yeah, if if his prime is being just a pretty good backup, like, I'm taking that chance over a guy that's, you know, I think Marimer's, what, 33? He's got to be 33, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I'm taking a guy that's eight years younger and just now playing the best hockey of his career as opposed to a guy whose best years are pretty much behind him. You know, like. And with with uh, Ned, it's like, I don't know how many times he's going to have to stand on his head. And like, yes, we all know he's a smaller goalie. And that might be part of the reason why the team is so hesitant to uh, to play him. But, you know, it's just, why not ride the hot hand? I mean, even Bill Peters knew when to do that, you know? Yeah. Well, here, here's another angle to to kind of consider in this, this whole, I guess, goalie debacle now that you can call it. I mean, so... 
Alex Nedeljkovic in this, like we're talking about a three game sample size, right? So it's not huge to build on. I mean, I'm talking about his elite play uh, as of late, but this is the first kind of, you know, legitimate run he's had as a starter. And he's just been absolutely incredible. It's not even really that he's the starter. It's just that he's finally getting consistent starts. And it's, it's almost at the point where, you know, this might be your one chance to actually, you know, let him take the reins and see what he's got here. He's the pending restricted free agent coming up. So you have another decision to make on him this summer with both of your main guys unrestricted. Even with Peter Morozik coming back, he's missed some time with injury. It was obviously incredible before his injury, but, you know, who knows exactly what kind of game shape he's going to be in when he comes back. What do you guys think about maybe, you know, letting Nedeljkovic just kind of let him loose here. Just give him a consistent amount of starts, even with Mirazik coming back into the picture and see if, you know, this guy can finally be the guy that you envisioned him being when you drafted him back in 2014. One thing I want to just say real quick as an aside, um, because of this truncated season, I know he like, isn't like getting the lion's share of the starts or whatever, but he's almost handling a starter workload right now. Right. Like, if you really think about it, especially with the way the Hurricanes manage their goalies, usually no one goalie is going to play, you know, three, four times a week. So right now, Ned is getting about two games a week, which in a lot of cases is about what the Hurricanes give their goalie, you know, their their 1A goalie. And the way he's handled it, I think he's putting himself into a really good position. Now, with that said, him and Morazic are very, very similar goalie types. They're undersized. They're super aggressive. They're very athletic. And they're a little (laughs) nerve-wracking. You know, I don't want to say they're untrustworthy, but they can kind of... It's an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, right. Watching them them kind of pulls on the, you know, nerves a little bit. So are the Hurricanes going to be afraid of going to two goalies like that? Do they just think that... Reimer is kind of a more steadying presence. I I think that's part of the reason. But but, okay, but here's the counterpoint to that is they're performing better than Reimer is. Right, right. Exactly. You need the the results to match up and that's just not happening right now. Exactly. And I think that is that the thing is, I think that goalie type is they're nervous about having a tandem of those two, even though I think that's the best option. So it's like, Reimer has proven in the past that like when he's in a backup role, he's fine. And he's a pretty calming presence in that. He can't handle being a starter and history in Toronto will show you. And in Florida, even will show you that he cannot be a starting goalie at the NHL level, but history also shows you that he's been a very serviceable backup goalie for most of his career. And so I think that maybe the Canes realize like when he gets back to the actual backup role, that things will be better. Maybe. And it's also possible that Rod and uh, Paul Schoenfelder, our goalie coach, don't want to run with two goalies who just kind of give you gray hairs every time you watch them play. Like that's very possible. But as we've seen, like with every single goalie at every single level, it takes like a consistent string of starts to get a goalie into a groove and to get a goalie to be a legitimate, not only just like a starter, but a game changer. 
what what I would say is it's just for me um, at this point, kind of the tough thing to stomach would be, you know, when Miraza comes back, he obviously goes back into the one A role, but you know, based on the performances from both guys up to this point, you know, it's it's not only would it be a tough sale uh, to the fan base, but I think it would probably be a tough sale maybe to the room uh, as well, and it's also a matter of, you know, you got to start looking beyond just this year. Because you have all three of these guys, free agents and in need of new contracts this summer. You know, James Reimer, he's not exactly a spring pup anymore. Marazic, he's getting close to 30. He's still got some good years left, I think. But, you know, you've invested all this time and effort and development into getting Nedeljkovic to where he is now. And if it's not going to be now to really take a run with this guy and see what he can provide whether he can be an answer moving forward as well, especially, you know, with not really much out there on the goalie market this summer. I think now is as good of a time as you're going to get to really see if this guy can be a staple for your franchise. Right. And I agree. And, you know, you say that Rod, like, is very much earn your eyes time. Sometimes I feel like he very much favors his veterans and he's very, very hesitant to put the young guys in big roles at the very least. And this kind of leads us into our next topic. Yes, the Hurricanes got the win tonight in Florida. But I just know for me personally, I did not love the line combinations. And I feel like it's almost cliche to rag on the line combinations at this point. But I wanted to get into this with you guys because I just feel like it's almost gotten to an extreme level. Like, it's great. You want to try to have three balance lines, that's, I mean, go for it. There's a lot of talent on this team in the forward ranks. And especially with the on-paper very forgiving defense that has struggled at times lately, but that's besides the point. The Hurricanes need to score goals right now. (laughs) They're struggling too. And I feel like Rod is almost so set in this balance kind of thing that it is hurting the team. For example, tonight, Ajo's line mates were Nino Niederreiter and Brock McGinn. Yep. Yes, they yeah. started They started the line uh, the night together. Right. And then Ajo had like six different line mates by right. the time everything was all said right. and done. Right. Okay. And Nino Niederreiter is fine up there. But Nino Niederreiter isn't really a play driver. He's more of that secondary piece that can benefit from a guy like Ajo. So, again, he's fine up there. But if you're going to do that, you kind of need another. It doesn't even have to be like a great play driver, but somebody that can kind of create on his own. Because if not, you're, you're kind of wasting Ajo. Like if a lot of the focus is put on him, McGinn and Nino aren't going to really hurt you creating offense on their own. Would you say that the Carolina Hurricanes are Eric Stalling, Sebastian Ajo right a, now? A little bit, man. And, and you know – when Terravine is back, hopefully it makes it a moot point. But, like, this is kind of where I'm going with all this. Martin Natius has been fantastic lately. We talked about him at length last week. He's he, he, you know, proved it again tonight that he looks like a completely different player in year two. Why? You've got Natius, who created a ton of offense all night long, on a line with Warren Fogel and Jordan Stahl. And as good as Stahl in particular has been this year, that's not really helping stall that much, especially now that his kind of hot streak is kind of over. It's 
it's been over for I'd yeah. say at least a solid five ten games. Yeah. So the simple solution to me, again, sitting here making a podcast for you know a few hundred people, whoever, however many listens we get, right? <laughs> I can sit here and criticize that coach that's making a million dollars, whatever his salary is, all I want. But at the end of the day, it looks super easy to me. Put Martin Natchez up top until Teravainen's back, and then let Warren Fogle, Brock McGinn, and Jordan Stahl just pester the crap out of every opposing <laughs> top line. Like, why, why Barkov and Huberto? Don't be irritated all night long. You know, tomorrow night, I don't even know who the hell Nashville's lining up with these days. Philip Forsberg, whoever it is, let them be pissed off all night. You know, your team's struggling to score goals. And then, of course, in overtime, the 10 seconds we got Ajo and Natchez together would happen. Just proved my point. But anyway, right. that's all I have to say about it. I want to get you guys' opinion on it. I know it was long-winded, but... I was I was going to bring up um, Martin Natchez's deployment tonight. Just taking a look at the five-on-five ice time for each of the Hurricanes, Marty Natchez was at nine minutes tonight, uh, which was only more than Steven Lorenz and Cedric Paquette. Um, that he played over three minutes less than Jordan Mardinuk and almost four minutes less than Brock McGinn at five on five. And he also didn't play for seven minutes. Yeah, yeah, I I don't love that deployment at all. I mean, like you said, obviously, if you're going to have Natchez and Ajo, you're going to have, you know, a, a little bit of both defensive and physical limitations on that line. But, I mean, you see the sparks they can create when they're playing together. Beyond just Natchez at 5-on-5, I also don't love the decision to only play Hayden Fleury and Jake Bean roughly 11 minutes. I mean, at 5-on-5, you can kind of balance out your lines more, especially relying, you know, so much on on Pesci and Slavin, especially on the penalty kill. And they were shorthanded quite a bit tonight. I mean, Brady Shea led the team in ice time at five on five and it was another disastrous performance for him. So I would definitely like to see a little more balance. I mean, you had Jake Bean. I think he played around 14 minutes tonight, but you factor in his power play time and Flurry was around 11 minutes. I mean, you can definitely afford to roll those guys more and it feels like Rod Brindamore only trusts the top four defense at five on five, which you know, it is a is a little questionable considering, you know, Fleury and Bean have really held up pretty well together overall. So I, I'm definitely with you, Brandon. I have some questions about the overall deployment of the Lions at five on five, mind you. Um I've really liked Jesper Faust uh, in the top six. Yeah. I think he's been incredible. He's Absolutely. very noticeable and he's coming on by the game. As far as deployment, I'm not exactly sure what I would do with the top with like, you know, the, the four lines, I tweeted out a grouping the other day, but I mean, it's all subject to change uh, by the, by the game. And, you know, hopefully right. when Turbo's back, we won't really be having this discussion. Well, so here's what I'm thinking. Like when, when Teravainen comes back, you know, that I think that right now, like the Canes are trying to quote balance the lines because they're missing a top line player. Yeah. So I think when Teravainen does come back, cause I mean, it's what been four or five games now since Teravainen has been out of the lineup. Um, we're going to notice that the Hurricanes are going to not struggle as much offensively. So you get Teravainen back. He's probably going to be paired with Ajo, and then you have whatever else. 
you probably see um, Brock McGinn move back down to the third line, I'm assuming, with Jordan Stahl and Warren Fogel. What I'm more frustrated about right now is, like, you have your best line most of these nights has been your fourth line. A line with Cedric Paquette, who, you know, has a role but isn't a very great player. With Jordan Martinuk, who has, again, not had the best season but has filled a role nicely on the fourth line. And then Steven Lorenz, who's done a very good job in his role. Yeah, he's been really quality. And might be one of the best defensive forwards on this team right now, just based on how he's been playing. But he's going to come out of the lineup. Because Rob Brindamore, I mean, McGinn doesn't deserve to be out of the lineup. He's been fine. And he was good on the penalty kill um, the other night against Tampa. When I mean, yes, he missed the breakaway, but like, you know, he, he's forcing these opportunities. And to be fair, so did Ajo and so did Natchez as far as missed breakaways. So like, you know, Fast also doesn't deserve to be out of the lineup. And Warren Fogel, you know, like, he's not his usual self. He's not. He doesn't seem to be playing the body as much, but offensively, at least production-wise, he's been fine. Like we've kind of ragged on it, but I looked like, and in a normal eighty-two game season, Fogel would be on pace for a career year. He's on pace for thirty-eight points right now in a normal season. So, like, I think that we'll be okay. I think that the lines will be fine. And again, like our Twitter bio says, good teams find a way to win, right? tweet that right after the game i was like peep the bio (laughs) (laughs) this is a good hockey team and i think we're we're kind of taking for granted like it's kind of like you know good team problems right like we're arguing whether or not you know nino niederreiter or whatever should be on the top line because of how he's been playing when like nino would at least be a top six forward on a good like half of the league right now you know and based on his production this season, he might be the first line player on a handful of NHL teams. Well, the, the biggest kind of issue here for Sorry. me is, you know, Brandon, as you mentioned a, a little earlier, and kind of guys getting a little more ice time because they're vets uh, when they haven't necessarily earned that. I mean, as you uh, mentioned, Matt, um, you know, the fourth line of Paquette, Lorenz, and Martinuk has been pretty serviceable. I mean, they haven't been a liability at all. And, you know, they're, they're, they do exactly what you need from them. And they've been irritating. Yeah, they, they've been fine in their role. But my question would be, you know, you played Cedric Paquette 704 tonight at, at five on five. You played Steven Lorenz 707. But Jordan Martinuk uh, was up at 1228, which was more than Jordan Stahl, Warren Fogle, Marty Natchez and his two line mates. So I'm just, for me, it's tough for me to figure out why, why he's getting the elevated ice time and, you know, why he's taking away from other guys, especially at five on five. I mean, he only played 18 seconds left than Sebastian Ajo at five on five. Like it's not really like he's contributing all that much. Right. Um, Most nights he's, still quite invisible. I mean, he's been better with Paquette there. He's been a little more noticeable, but I mean, he's not driving play at five on five. You know, he's not really impacting the game for you in an offensive way or, or, you know, really just really impacting the game all that much at all. 
Yeah, so I, I mean, I'd be very curious to see like where his chart lines up or like where he's landed. Because I mean, we see the eye test, and obviously, you know, like that tells part of the story. I want to see what he's doing analytically because I think I think there's something off about his game this year. Just to bring it back full circle, like I, I mean, this is the reason I brought this up. Since Terabinen went down, I'll read you guys off. He's missed six games now. Right. And these are the goal scoring totals in regulation, not including empty netters. The Hurricanes have scored in those six games. They got three in that first game against Tampa Bay that they won four to nothing, you know, not including the empty netter. They got two, zero, one, three, and then tonight two in regulation. Right. That's there's so much talent on this team, dude. Like to me, there's just no excuse for that. And one other tweet I made tonight where I was kind of alluding to us talking about this. I feel like Svech and Natchez could basically have doubled their point production this year if used a little bit differently. And and part of it is going to be, you mentioned earlier, Natchez got sat in the third period tonight after he failed to get a puck out. He, this is a learning experience for them. They're young players in the NHL and Rod is a great person to have as a teacher and leader for them because he's going to make them better on the defensive side of the puck. We've already seen that, but to me, it's just trying to find a balance between like that, trying to help these guys grow and mature and not suppress them. Right. So anyway, and I, th- I think with time, Natchez's role will increase. Of course. And I but... think it's more just a matter of finding, you know, when Tara Vining comes back, I think it'll kind of, it, it'll kind of reset the lines. Um, so I think, I, I think, okay. Nino Tavo. Right, so that's something. Procheck, Natchez, boom. Just, and you know what? Might as well just put the 2020-2021 Stanley Cup. Damn right, dude. Oh, Carolina God. Hurricanes. But I, I think we're we're really forgetting to talk about. I mean, we've talked about Tabo. We talked about Natchez. We've we've touched on you know like Svech and Aho here. But like, we're really forgetting the one player who I think has made the biggest impact on the team this season not named Brett Pesci. Because Pesci has had a hell of a season. Norris. Hell of a season. Coming for that Norris. Vincent Trocek leads the team in points, or he's tied for the team lead in points uh, with 17 in 19 games. So by points percentage, he's actually ahead of Aho and Svechnikov, who have played in one more game than him. But regardless, Trocek has been... I think the most clutch player on the Canes this season, he's been such a breath of fresh air and where you don't have to worry about the Canes not being able to put in a rebound when Trocek's on the ice. I don't think we've had that, you know? We haven't had that type of player on this roster. And I'm, I'm curious to see, like, what you guys think as far as, you know, his overall performance this season. Because in my opinion, if I'm looking at this as being, like, the – it's, we're close to the halfway point now. Trocek is absolutely, unquestionably my MVP so far. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's hard to disagree with you. He's got 11, point, 11 goals now, sorry, in 20 games. You know, he's been exactly what the doctor ordered for the Canes in that 2C role. I mean, that's obviously been a huge problem for them dating back, you know, kind of as long as we can remember. I was going to say, is, is he the best 2C we've ever had? <laughs> well, well, I mean, well, maybe not ever because you can back like the 016. I mean, anyway. like in recent memory, right? right he's right. been, he's, that's where I was going. And 
you know, dating back to last year when he first came over from Florida, I mean, we saw flashes of how good he can be. I mean, he only had a goal and one one goal, one assist in seven games when he came over. But, I mean, he was noticeable on the ice. He was playing exactly how he's played this year. I just think he was a bit snake-bitten. Um, Dude could not buy a goal. Yeah. yeah exactly, right? Like, we, sure. we saw how good he was playing yeah. and how good he could be. Um, he just Nothing was just really going his way offensively. Like you said, he couldn't buy a goal. But, I mean, he was creating – he was agitating the same way he is now. You know, I was always impressed with, you know, his physicality on the forecheck for a guy his size. Yeah, he's not a big guy. He's not a big guy, but he plays big, right? Absolutely. But, you know, he's also a guy that the team's relying on basically in all situations right now. You know, he's playing in overtime. Um, he's on their their first power play unit. He's in front of the net when you need a goal to tie the game. He's playing those 2C minutes and those tough minutes against other teams, you know, top players as well. Um yeah, I've been really, really impressed with his performance. And, you know, beyond just just what he's done, I also think that he can be, you know, just a fantastic mentor for a guy like Jamison Reese um, when he comes along because I, I see a lot of similarities in their game. I, I, I know Brandon's going to like that, but I see a lot of similarities in their game. Um, in hindsight, you know, what a deal um, by Waddell to – I said I said on Twitter a few weeks ago, you know, a couple of warm bodies and a couple of average prospects. You know, E2 Lusterinen has kind of kind of made me eat those words uh, the last couple of games. I've been very impressed with him. Good, glad to see him having success in Florida. But I mean, just what an improvement for the Hurricanes overall from that deal. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously he's been fantastic. And Alex, you did kind of take away part of what I was going to say, and I was actually going to say another player too in South Jarvis. And while Jarvis isn't maybe the physical style that Trocek plays exactly, a lot of what Jarvis does reminds me of what we see out of Trocek in that Trocek's magic with the puck on his stick. I mean, operating in tight quarters, he'll have defenders all around him. He's pulling it, going back and forth. Like, he has the puck on a string. And, I mean – he knows how to find the soft spots. We saw tonight on the game tying goal. He found that soft spot in the defense, got open for Niederreiter, boom, tie game. And then defensively, on the penalty kill, he's been fantastic as well. He's winning 50, almost 58% of his faceoffs. He was only six out of 16 tonight, so that dropped his percentage down a little bit. But he's still this season 194 out of 336 or something like that. So almost 58%. He, he just makes those winning hockey plays all over the ice is basically where I was going with that. He's so – Aho hasn't really gotten going this year yet. I think we all know that. He showed some flashes tonight when he was pushing the play. He still has 17 points. You know, it's right. crazy. But still, I mean, we know Aho has a higher gear than this. Right. You know, he's going to – I've said it a couple times already, and I keep waiting on it to happen, but at some point he's going to score, you know, nine or 10 goals in 10 games or something like that. And again, this is part of why we had that lines conversation to hopefully get that going at some point, but <laughs> having Trocek has softened the blow of not having Aho at his best of having Terravine and out with COVID and now being injured of, of Svechnikov being all up and down the lineup. And he's got one assist in his last six games and that's it. If I'm not mistaken. So yeah, Benson yeah. Trocek MVP of the team. Can't really argue with that other than maybe so, number 22, Brett Pesci, but yeah. So two things I was going to say was one, like Brandon, you were kind of talking about Trocek and what he does for this team. And it's like the, the best thing I can, or the best way to describe how Trocek has been for me is that he's just been in the right place at the right time. 
every time. That's he's not the best man. shooter. He 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 doesn't have like the best on ice vision. You know, like he he's a good playmaker, but he's not great. You know, obviously, there's something to be said about a player who is smart enough to know where to be in order to score goals or to set somebody up for a goal. And that's the type of player we have in Trocheck is somebody who's just smart that knows where to be. And the Canes haven't really had that guy on their second line. And I was going to ask, Alex mentioned the trade and I saw this on Twitter. I believe it was Andrew Schnitker tweeted this out. Like is is the Trocheck trade Don Waddell's best acquisition as the general manager of this team? Well, I mean, it, it's got to be close. When you analyze what we sent the, the other way, I mean, Eric Halla, it, it was obviously not working out here. We all kind of know, you know, how that was going to end. He wasn't being re-signed, unfortunately. He had some good moments, but dried up, you know, um, the reports of like a rift with Rod Brindamore and, other stuff not really worth getting into you know he had some personal stuff but so for Halla just didn't really work out you know Walmart Lucas Walmart great kid fine player but I mean the sizable upgrade that Trocheck is on him is just a night and day difference and then you look at the two prospects they sent the other way I mean Lusterine and he got in a couple games for the Hurricanes and you know he looked pretty good he looked like he had some shades of being a potential player but I mean just just absolutely buried on the depth chart. Kind of hard to see him carving out a role. I mean, even other prospects like Gautier and Quoken and a few others that were moved on, uh, he was even behind them, uh, I I would probably say. So, and then, you know, Chase Prisky, the, they signed him as a free agent out of college and he, he was probably never going to play here. Um, you know, you give up four pieces, which seems like a lot. And in hindsight, people were, or, you know, fans at first with the trade, they were like, oh, well, you know, that's a lot to give up. We give up two roster players and two prospects. But when you look at it from the grand scheme of things overall, did they really give up anything vital to their future or their group? I would definitely say the answer is no there. And they easily got the best player from the deal. You still had a bit of term on them. And I just, I can't see the Hurricanes at any point regretting that deal from their side of things. Right, and like I, I referred to it to somebody as you know, you you got a whole dollar bill in this trade, and you gave up four quarters. In in like the hockey sense, four quarters doesn't equal a dollar because like the individual impact of those four players won't equal Trocheck's impact. I would probably say you gave up like four nickels. I'd probably be well, a better way to put it. This person who was affiliated with the team kind of said that's like you had one player who you thought was a quarter and then ended up being worth like a dime at the end of things. And um Yeah. It's like when you look at it, you've you acquired a player in Vincent Trocek who after this season has one more year left on his deal. So you're getting two seasons out of a top six forward on a bargain of a contract. The dude's making less than five million. Yeah. And then you give up Eric Holla, who very clearly wasn't going to a resign here or even really going to play here. He just didn't seem like a good fit. And so you get rid of him, and you upgrade. You get rid of Lucas Walmark, who I'm going to maintain wasn't as good as Kane's Twitter made him out to be. Walmart was definitely one of those players that had 
he was a good fourth line player that wasn't physical and couldn't finish. So he didn't really fit the fourth line, you know, then you get Listerinen and I've liked Listerinen since the year after we drafted him. I finally started watching him um, that year. And I was like, Holy crap. Like this is actually like a decent pick. Like I can see why the Canes picked him now. And now he's turning into a guy that's probably going to be a reliable third line winger for Florida. And then Chase Prisky, and I don't think Chase Prisky is going to be an NHL player. He has two points in five games with uh, Syracuse right now, which is sharing the affiliation with the Lightning and the Panthers. But it's just Prisky skating is never going to be good enough to catch up to the NHL level. And what sets him apart from a guy like maybe like Adam Fox, who wasn't a good skater, is that there's a clear gap in the skill between Prisky and Fox, you know? And it's like you lose a solid third-line player, but like Trocek, I mean, assuming that you re-sign him, which I don't see why you wouldn't at this point. He's been a phenomenal fit for this team. Like this is – you get a player who will be a second-line forward on your team for a good while. And that's why like, you know, you could argue for other moves. You could argue that the Hamilton move was a big one. I mean, I really do think as far as trades are concerned, the Trocek one is at least in the top two or three of Waddell's trades as GM. Well, you, you even got to look at it from Florida's perspective, right? I mean, they get these four pieces, but you know, they moved on from two of them after seven games because they didn't re-sign Lucas Walmart or Eric Halla. They didn't even think enough of Lucas Walmart to even qualify him as a restricted free agent. So two of their pieces are gone right away. I mean, Chase Prisky's buried in their, in their AHL system. And let's be honest, their defense as a whole, isn't that great to begin with. So they get E2 Lusterine and out of it. Yeah. He's starting to carve out a role for them now, but you look at it from the Kane side of things. Was he ever really going to emerge from their group of prospects? And especially with how deep, you know, the forward group is now you can definitely make the case that he was expendable. Um, Oh, he was. I mean, there was no way. And same with Yanni Kokonen, who's having a great, great season with the Devils. It's like, there just wasn't enough space. Exactly. Exactly. So I think, I think you give up four pieces, which looks like a lot, you know, from the surface of things, but they definitely didn't give up anything, you know, that would really alter their future at all. And they add, you know, just a guy who's been an absolute game changer for their team. So looking at it from a neutral perspective I think it is pretty hard to make the case that any other trade they made is as impactful as this one we've talked a lot about the potential changes we could make to the lineup or you know some really big standouts like Ned and Trocek so far I think it's time to maybe take a take a look at the the farm system and what's going on down in the pipeline because I mean it is March 1st at the time of recording and March 1st, if you don't know, marks the first day that NHL teams can sign their undrafted prospects or any players on their reserve list. So the Hurricanes have four players where this year they will lose the rights to, and those four players being Jack LaFontaine, Blake Murray, Itu Makiniemi, and uh, Veli Rasanen. Um so- <laughs> So I think we can write off Rassanen, um right yeah. off the bat. So we've got basically three prospects that the Canes could <laughs> realistically sign this year. And uh, LaFontaine's rights expire in August, but um, you have to sign Makinami and Murray by 
June 1st. So let's talk about Makinami and Murray first. Like, what do you guys think? Do you think the Canes will offer these guys a contract? I know we talked about Murray a little bit last week. So if you guys want, we can just talk about Makinami and then briefly touch on uh, the possibility of signing Blake Murray. You know, this, this is tough for me to say because, you know, I've, I've admittedly been very high um, on Makinami, especially recently with the qualities I've seen. You know, he really stood out to me. I think it was two summers ago now. Um, but at the Hurricanes prospect camp, I think it was the year where David Cotton uh, was one of the captains. I and uh, I just I can't remember yeah, exactly. That was the but, last prospects camp we had. Yeah, he he was there, and my God, like he just at that prospect camp, he just looked incredible. I mean, you've seen the, the flashes of you know his athleticism. He has good size for an NHL goaltender, and you know. I think as far as goaltending prospects in this system as a whole kind of go, I think he's got the best measurables. I think he's kind of got the best athletic ability. Um, I definitely think he's a very talented kid, but, you know, you kind of look at things, how they've gone for him since being drafted way back in 2017. Now, um, you know, he's had a couple injury situations. He's been stuck behind a fantastic NHL prospect in Lucas Dostal uh, in his Ilvis program over in Finland. So, it's definitely going to be a tough one with Makiniemi because the thing for me is I think that he's a guy um, that obviously needs more time. I mean, this year he's, he's finally emerged as their starter. He's got an 899 save percentage, which, you know, isn't really great. Um, he played better there last year and, you know, he hasn't quite been performing as well. I His just think defense is also very weak. I'll point like that they're, out right they're now. very weak. And we're talking about a guy who's only 21 years old. So, you know, the, just the potential there is very, very high. Um, just the concerning thing for me is that, you know, we're talking about a kid here who has yet to really establish himself at the Liga level um, in Finland. And while he's played some good games and he's definitely shown some good qualities as a goaltender, I just think he's a guy that, you know, he still needs a lot of time uh, to develop and you know, the Canes just don't have that time. I mean, they've, they've got to make the decision in the next three months now if they've seen enough from him to want to bank on giving him an entry-level deal. I mean, he just re-signed there for next year, so I think they can they can sign him to an entry-level deal and assign him back there to kind of let him, you know, let him have another year of development there uh, as the starter for Ilvis. But I just – I'm not convinced – um, especially with the new regime. I mean, you're talking about the Ron Francis regime that drafted him. I mean, Darren York and Eric Tulski and those guys were still there when they picked him, so they know a lot about this kid. But I'm just not sure the overall sample size they've seen from him would be enough um, for them to take a chance on signing him, especially with how LaFontaine's come along. I mean, the Hurricanes, they definitely don't have a lot of answers in that, especially moving forward. So, I think it would be a disservice not to sign him and at least, you know, see what he can do at the pro level, even if he comes over to the AHL in a couple of years and, you know, see if he can hack it. But we're just talking about a guy who he he's still very raw. He still obviously has a lot of developing to do. The only thing I really have to add is, Alex, you actually brought up a really good point of, you know, he has that extra year on his contract and you you could sign him theoretically and leave him in the AHL or not the AHL, excuse me, the Liga to develop for that extra season as their true starter. So he gets a full season as a starter, right? But you run the risk then of if, if he signs Jack LaFontaine getting 
into a groove and either becoming the next backup for the team or continuing his progression to becoming that, you know? And you also run the risk of Kachikov coming over. I don't think it'll happen this season, but I think in the next year or two, we're going to have Peter Kachikov become a goaltender in the hurricane system, like in the AHL or NHL. So if you give him that year, the only thing is you run the risk of him getting buried again, which is something that's happened to Maki Niemi since he was drafted. He had the one year with Joker at U20 team that was really good. And then he got injured and spent, you know, a couple games in Mestis. And then last year he's buried on an Ilves team that has Lucas Dostal, one of the best goalies in the world, at least prospects wise. And then this year, even like for the first 20 or so games, you see him getting buried on the depth chart. So I think this is, it's unfortunate because I think in a couple of years, you might be hearing NHL teams calling on Makiniemi, you know? It's, it's going to be one of those things where the Canes are probably going to let him go to a free agency unless they do want to sign him and maybe take the loan route. But at this point in time, unless he has like a drastic change in performance, I think the Canes are going to let him go to free agency and run with the depth they have in net now. Yeah, yeah, I just I'm I I want I want really badly to be able to disagree with you, but I'm just I know cuz he's a good he he has the tools to be a good goalie. He's super athletic. He's got the size you want. And he can make those big saves. Like it's just he's not if his rights were expiring a year from now, we'd be talking about Makiniemi getting signed to a contract. I think, yeah, I think he's yeah. just a year away from being like considered like a pro prospect. Yeah, see, that's exactly what like the point I was trying to get to as well. That you know, it's just consistency has been the biggest problem for him, not just from his play, but you know, getting consistent starts at the level he should be at. I mean, last season uh, he was playing in the Mestis League, like you mentioned. And he won goalie of the year in that league. I think I'm pretty sure he ended up leading that league in save percentage. And he could barely even get a sniff um, in Liga because of the the guys he was behind. You know, he arguably probably should have been playing at a higher level than he was, you know, dating even back to last year. And then so this year, you know, things finally cleared up for him. He kind of had a clear path to a starter role and just the same kind of issues have plagued him with, you know, some inconsistent games, some inconsistent play overall. And, you know, Dostal coming back over because the whole COVID situation that delayed the start of the AHL season. I just don't think he's got into the groove um, that I was expecting from him. I was expecting him to take a huge leap, especially after a 936 save percentage and a small sample size uh, of seven games from the previous year. I'm so torn on this because I really like him as a prospect. And I really think he does have a lot of NHL qualities and, you know, he's really got a lot of untapped potential that we haven't seen from his play yet. It's just at this point, you know, with only 50 contract slots and it's not like the Hurricanes are very deep um, with goaltending prospects as a whole. You know, you, you don't really know what's going on with Kachikov yet. And I'm assuming Lafontaine building off his season he's had, he'll be signed for sure. But yeah, it's mm. you you can afford to give this kid a contract. It's just going to come down to the internal belief from the organization. And like I said, I'm just not sure based on the overall sample size that they've seen enough at this point 
So it's it's a tough one because I think this kid can be successful. Right. Speaking of players that, you know, we're we're still kind of on the fence about like a player that I've actually started to maybe come around on as far as getting a contract is Blake Murray. Because I see in him this growth wise over the past couple of seasons and obviously this season I've only seen like what little clips I can find on Twitter of Sweden's third tier league. You're getting a guy who has developed as a playmaker and this like you remember Gautier, um, Julian Gautier in his draft year as being described as a player that had tunnel vision. And Murray was kind of similar in what kind of separate him from being another Julian Gautier is Blake Murray has started to see the ice a lot better and has started to see that, oh, hey, if I make this pass, like it opens up all of these opportunities, whereas I could just shoot it into the goalie's pads or, you know, whatever and play stops like he, he he wants to keep the play going and so i think you're starting to see his hockey sense which is an underrated aspect of his game i think it's starting to come out a little bit more um so i think he gets a contract i'm not sure where y'all stand on this but i do think we need to talk about jack lafontaine who on the broadcast tonight against the panthers the, they they mentioned him and i think that's a pretty good sign i mean you know the Canes broadcast team isn't going to mention just any Joe Schmo. And like, obviously it doesn't mean that there's a deal in place, but I'd have to say like, if your NHL team's broadcast is talking about it, they're trying to generate like at least a little bit of interest in this player because the team wants that. Yeah. I I definitely think that's a sign that they are high on him (laughs) because it does kind of remind me of, you remember when we made the Galchenyuk and Paquette deal and everyone was talking about, Oh, we got more FaceTime from Cedric Paquette's dog than, you know, any mention of Alex Galchenyuk. And obviously they didn't even, they told him to stay in Canada. Like, Don't, you know, don't go anywhere yet. You don't need to come down here and have to quarantine and all that because you're not staying here. Well, with LaFontaine, Obviously, they're already making – I mean, I guess it's somewhat notable because he's up for the Mike Richter Award. But at the same time, it, it, to me, it kind of falls along those same lines because obviously the production team is in contact with, you know, actual staff members on the Hurricanes. And you have to think that they're pointing this guy out because somebody in the organization is high on him. And I think they have every reason to be. I definitely <laughs> think LaFontaine uh, – is worthy of a contract. I mean, as we've talked about on this podcast before, he's having one of the best seasons in the NCAA this year. So I'm definitely excited to see him get into Kane's organization, get to Chicago next year and uh, see where his development goes. And I'm with you on Murray. I think we talked about him a good bit as well. Um, a lot of offensive skill there. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm right with both of you. Um, As far as Blake Murray, I mean, you can't question the skill level. You can't question, you know, he's got great size. He can play both the center and the wing position. His defensive game isn't super polished. And, you know, it seems like a lot of scouts, um, their biggest issue with him has been, you know, kind of on the mental side of the game. So I think, you know, he's definitely a guy that the Hurricanes can bring him into the organization and and see if you can turn him into a player. Um, And, you know, as far as LaFontaine goes, I can't really disagree with either of you. Obviously, the progression from where he started when he was drafted, how things went for him at first to where he is now, it's just a night and day difference. And you just you can't pass on the opportunity to add, you know, good young players to your organization, especially at a position as vital as a goaltending. So I definitely think he'll get a contract as well. And at this point, I would probably bet that Blake Murray is a pretty safe bet as well. 
I think it's time that we started to label a prospect of the week. And as Mr. Kane's prospects himself, I am going to announce the prospect of the week as none other than Kane's prospect, Vasily Ponomaryov from the Shawinigan Cataracts. Cataracts. Thank you. Ponomaryov played in two games this past week, had four assists in his game on Saturday, and then one secondary assist in his game on Sunday for a five-point weekend. And this is a player that over the month of February had one goal and 14 assists. What a team player, you know, the future... (laughs) Tevo Teravina for this team. (laughs) Somebody put it in my mentions, but like this is a player who had a legitimately phenomenal weekend. And Seth Jarvis was excellent as he always has been, but I do think that we need to recognize that there are other good prospects playing in the system. I haven't had the pleasure of watching him that much. I saw him at the World Juniors, and you know, he's a guy that. He, he's undersized as well. He's not a big guy. He's, uh, maybe undersized isn't the right word, but he's listed at 5'11", 175. Um, he plays center ice position. He's another guy that, you know, I see some elements of Vincent Trocek in his game as well. Um, yes. He's got a lot of Absolutely. heart, right? I mean, he, his feet never stop moving when he's on the ice. He's rugged for a guy that size. And, you know, he's got a lot of skill to his game. I'm not sure if he's that dynamic of a skater, especially at like the Trocheck level, but I mean, he's not, no, I would agree. But you know, he's a guy, he can play all situations. He's a guy that, you know, you can trust to play your penalty kill. You can trust him trying to preserve a lead in the last minute of the game. And he's also a guy you can trust to try and generate some offense. If you need a goal, Um, his hockey sense is absolutely stellar and his hands are very good. Uh, There's a lot of, a lot to like about him as a player. He's one of the best defensive forwards in the QMJHL as totally a 19-year-old import. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, that's so, kind of, well, that's part of where I was going to go on him like you know, I've heard some people talk about his skating is kind of a negative and I, I guess he doesn't have like maybe the top end speed of a guy like Trocheck or you know, That that's what that. I would say as far as his skating um his first couple steps uh, they leave a little to, to be desired and right, you know, but, he doesn't quite have that top gear to separate. So the hope is he can get a little quicker, but yeah. I, and that might come with time, but I, I actually, in my viewings of him actually was impressed with other areas of his skating, like his edge work, his footwork. And I thought like in, you know, tight, making tight turns and maneuvering in like below the goal line and places like that and sticking with his man defensively, I thought he did a really good job. So like, you know, maybe he doesn't have the top end speed, but I, I still thought he knew where to be and was able to get there at the same time. And my biggest question with him really was how much offense was really in his game. Because to me, he really profiles as more of a third liner, maybe. But it's frustrating he's about dishing out assists like this all over the place. Maybe he's got more offense in the tank than I really thought. Kind of similar to Jack Drury a couple of years ago. I didn't really think he was going to be a big offensive contributor, but he's kind of proving me wrong too. So the most frustrating thing about Ponomaryov is nothing to do with the player himself. It's the fact that no coach puts him in the right position to succeed. I saw that at the Russian yeah. World Juniors. He's able – so here's the thing. He's such a smart player that he knows – how to adapt to every role that he's put in. He's playing as more of like a defensive 2C, kind of like how Jordan Stahl still kind of is 
on this team, and he's done a great job of that. He's been put in a fourth-line penalty kill and grit-and-grind role, similar to like the Stephen Lorenz and the Jordan Martinook we saw at the World Juniors. He did really well in that role. So when you finally give him that first-line role that he actually deserves on that Russian roster and on the Shawinigan team, he's going to explode offensively. And so... He's leading Shawinigan in points right now, actually, which Maverick Borg's missed five games and only has one fewer point. Maverick Borg was a first-round pick this last draft, if I'm not mistaken. And um, Ponomaryov, I, I firmly believe that if he was six feet tall, would have been a first-round pick, or at least a top 50, top 40 pick, you know? Yeah, it probably makes sense with his game. Like, the way he plays, you ideally like a guy like that to have a little bit more size, but I think he's definitely – Got a pretty safe four in an NHL, you know, bottom six at worst. Yeah, you're, you're both bang on. And I do agree with, I think Brandon mentioned it earlier. I do think his offensive skill as a whole has been a bit undersold because of modest production in the QMJHL. He's kind of just starting to emerge offensively now. Yeah. Just wait until he gets going and then we'll start to see more of who he can be as a player. I just thought that, you know what, his production is finally starting to catch up and he's finally starting to really emerge as that player that was deserving of the Prospect of the Week award. So we've talked about him every week. And um, if you don't already know, Seth Jarvis will not be playing in the AHL anymore this season, or at least I can say that with almost full confidence because his team um, resumes their camp. Um. I think on Friday, March 5th, if I'm not mistaken. So Seth Jarvis will in all likeliness be heading back to the WHL as early as um, the day you're hearing this podcast. So his 11 points in nine games led the Wolves in his time here. It it can't be understated how good Jarvis was uh, during his time with the Wolves. And unfortunately, you know, he does have to head back to the WHL, but I've kind of come around and I think, I think it's going to be good for him to get just some time playing in a league that he's comfortable with. And I view his time in the AHL this season as kind of like bonus development, you know? So with all that being said, I think it's time to move on to some questions we got some, from some Canes fans here. So the first question that I have is from a Carolina Hurricanes fan named Sam Kinney at Kinney the Kaniac saying, who is the dark horse prospect that we have who people don't know a ton about yet? So Alex, I'm going to let you talk about this because I mean, you and I both, you know, we, we center more on the prospect side of things right now. So um, who, who in your opinion is one of the more dark horse prospects or is like emerging as one this season? Well, one player that I really like, um, you know, I, I'm definitely a big fan of the skill guys, you know, dating back to, all the way in 2013 when they signed Sergei Tolchinsky as an undrafted free agent. Just Special place in my heart. Just the intrigue, <laughs> man, from from a guy that dynamic um, on the ice, just as a skill player. Uh, it's just it. It's just a guy, like just the type of player that really intrigues me. So where I'm going with this is I really like um, Alexander Passion. Uh, they just drafted him. This past October, he was a seventh-round pick, mocked much higher than that by most scouts. Some guys having him as high as even a late first-round pick. I mean, the talent level is just off the charts with him. He's got 45 points this year in 41 games in the Russian MHL League. 
which correct me if I'm wrong, is their top junior league. I think U20. It is. Um, um, yeah. The only thing I'll say is that the MHL is a really frustrating league because the talent gap is huge. Totally, totally. But we're talking about um, a kid who was a very, very late birthday in this draft. Uh, he won't be 19 until the end of July. So he's he's still very young. Um and he's already top 10 in points per game in that league. He's already made his KHL debut. He's played a few games there this year. Um, you know, as an offensive threat, this kid is just dynamic, right? He's a string bean. I think he's about 5'7", 150 pounds, if I remember correctly. I mean, you hope he can get a little bigger than that. But, as you know, as far as his offensive game goes, his IQ in that regard is just off the charts. I mean, he's got electric playmaking ability, right? He can, he can skate with anybody, you know, he can, he can create opportunities, dangerous scoring opportunities out of nowhere. Um, And you know what? His effort level for a guy that size is quite impressive. You know, he doesn't back down going in on the four check. Um, I would say he's probably like a rich man, Sergei Tolchinsky, because I think there's more dynamic elements to his game. And, you know, I think he's a better skater than Tolchinsky was. He definitely just kind of seems to be a little bit better in every He's just more polished, kind of more rounded. Um, He's really grown on me, especially the more as I've watched his highlights. I mean, it's tough to watch full tape of him, but, um, you know, I'm going to be careful with this because I don't want anyone to take, like, take it and run and, and, and you know, make it out to more than it should be. But, just basically as a stylistic um, comparison, you know, I think he's got some Johnny Gojo elements to his game, uh, especially offensively. Like he's that dynamic with the puck on his stick. He's just, he's just got fantastic hands, fantastic vision. He's just electric as far as seventh round picks goes. I mean, this guy could be a potential home run. All right. So I'm actually going to, I guess it's kind of cheating a little bit because I'm going to mention three guys here, but the first two guys I want to mention, I just want to give a shout out to, and then I'll go into my actual pick. (laughs) First of all, David Cotton has been pretty good at the AHL level so far. He's got seven points in his first five games in Chicago. And that team is pretty stacked right now. So I'll be interested to see if that kind of keeps up. If he keeps putting up points at this rate, I know he's a little bit older for a prospect already, but it's been a promising start. He's done about everything you could have asked him to do in his first taste of AHL hockey. Another guy that I really don't know gets talked about enough, and I actually just mentioned him a couple minutes ago, is Jack Drury. I just think he plays such a pro-style game, and the way he's played in Sweden as a 21-year-old, 20, just turned 21, has been really, really impressive. 24 points in 34 games playing against men with no AHL experience. Another guy going straight from Harvard. But the guy that I actually wanted to pick for this, I first saw him at a prospects camp, I guess it was 2019 summer. And, you know, without really knowing anything about him, he just really stuck out to me. Um, Really talented with the puck on his stick. It's really hard to glean too much from that environment to begin with, but his first year at Penn state didn't go all that well, but this year he's their leading scorer on a not very good team. But Kevin Wall, I, I like him as a sixth-round pick. Um, I, I just think the package there, especially offensively, is really impressive for a guy taken that late. You know, the Hurricanes have done so well drafting the later rounds lately, and he's another guy that, for me, falls into that category. 
All right, you get a big power forward that uh, kind of has the the shot, the skating, and you know, I mean, like prospects camp, like people people crap on prospects camp is like, oh, you're not going to get like an NHL player from it. Let me no, like that's not what they're there for. You know, like you really should just be there to see which qualities these prospects have, and like, oh, hey what did they have this year that they maybe didn't have last year? Oh, you know, I don't know anything about this prospect. Oh, he's got a nice shot. You know, like that's all you want to do is look for. So if a player stands out, it's not necessarily because you think that they're going to be an NHL player. It's just, you think that, Hey, this is what this player has. So like, I liked wall that year. I was still kind of hesitant because I didn't know what to expect, but I will say he's been very good this year for Penn state. So we talked about my dark horse prospect at length, um, I think a couple weeks ago, and Tuka Tiaxala is mine because Canes fans know about him, but we're really just starting to see what kind of player he can be. He is so dynamic in the offensive zone, and I really think that this is a guy that could be at the level of Tevo Taravainen at some point in his career. So that's my pick. But so we're going to go to our next question from Luke Scholl here at Luke's Canes Takes. And he asked, what kind of finish up to the season does Dougie need to secure an extension? And where does the money go if he's not extended? Oh, God. That's fun. That's a yeah, who's speaking that even on us, man? Um, well, I mean, I think with Dougie Hamilton, um, you know, he – it's not a secret to anyone who watches the team regularly. He hasn't quite gotten back to the level um, that he was at last year. You know, just not really getting shots through the same way. Uh, One thing I've really noticed about him is he's not skating uh, the same way. He's never been quick, but this year he kind of looks slow. Um, A lot of times he's getting beat to the puck, you know, especially on, especially on odd man rushes, you know, dumping chases. He's just, he looks like he's kind of, with with the injury, right? It's just it, it, he, he's just not quite skating the same way for me. So I mean, you've definitely got to have some, you know, you got, you got, you got to be extremely cautious with how long and how much um, you want to commit to the player. You know, around the league lately, a lot of long term big money extensions for guys, you know, kind of in Dougie's age bracket haven't necessarily aged all that well, even with players that, you know, are arguably better than Dougie Hamilton at the time of signing, I'll say Eric Carlson um, as an example. So you've definitely got to figure out, you know, maybe what's plaguing him or why he isn't at the level um, that he got to last year. Was that kind of an aberration or is he capable of getting back there? Um, I guess the rest of the season should clear that up. Obviously, no decision needs to be made right now. Um, as far as where the money could go, if you don't commit that to Dougie, um, you could definitely look at some goaltending options. There's not really much on the open on the open market this summer. Beyond that, maybe um, you know, I do think the Hurricanes could still benefit from adding a top six sniper um, to the group. As far as options out there, I mean, you might have some trade options, but as far as every team is coveting snipers nowadays, right? You know, these guys don't grow on trees. Teams aren't just giving them away. So beyond just bringing in the money, you're probably not the part with assets to get one. You know, the Hurricanes have been linked to Nikolai Ehlers and guys like that over the past year or so. So it's it's tough to really, you know, say where they can put their money um, as far as 
replacing Dougie's cap hit if it's not there. You got to kind of see where the group is at as a whole in the summer. Um, what happens with the expansion draft, and you know, see what prospects are ready. If Seth Jarvis is ready to step into a role, maybe you don't quite have the same needs. So it's definitely a wait and see approach. Um, right now, I'm kind of reluctant to commit to Dougie long term. I think they should definitely be cautious there, but. Like I said, we got to see how the rest of the season plays out before kind of making any decisions in that regard. We're not making any decisions yet, but based on his level of play so far, whereas before the season, it was like, oh, we're, we got to sign him to an extension, right? Now there's definitely some questions. A play tonight, you know, <laughs> and with Tripp's commentary actually just kind of made me think like, wow, if that isn't just kind of a microcosm of this entire season for Dougie, he made a comment saying, "This is I think this is the time where Dougie Hamilton needs to step up and take charge. And then that very next play, he didn't get his feet moving with the puck, and he had a weak clearing attempt that turned into a chance. And Triple's like, that's literally the opposite of uh, taking charge. That's He would never say something like this, but it's kind of a lazy play. And I feel like there's been a lot of those this season. And the biggest concern for me is it does almost seem like, I don't want to say work ethic, but like he's just not there. And, and, and I, I think it does have a lot to do with the injury. If we're being honest, it might like, be a confidence thing too. Yeah. And, and, well, it's confidence in his body. And it's so many times with professional athletes, if they have a leg injury, it takes them a full year of playing, not of a year from when the injury happened. Gordon Hayward comes to mind. I know this is a basketball example, so some people may not even, you know, have any idea, but a lot of people probably do remember the really gruesome leg injury, a compound fracture that Gordon Hayward had opening night for the Boston Celtics a couple of years ago. And he came back and he was not the same player as all, at, at all. And it's like that with a lot of them. They have to get used to planting and driving with that leg again. And, if you've had a serious injury like that, it's hard to do. So as far as what he needs to do the rest of the year, he's just got to get comfortable on the ice again. To me, you know, his shot, he's going to score some goals eventually. He's too good of an offensive defenseman not to. He's snake bitten right now. That happens to everybody. But the biggest concern for me is him to have more of a motor in the defensive end. Because that was the biggest, probably positive to me, even more than the points last season, was just how good he was defensively. I was like, holy crap, this is just an absolutely elite defenseman that deserves the Norris Trophy over a guy like John Carlson, who has more points, but is more of a liability defensively. Dougie was just so good in both ends of the ice. And you know what? Even if he's not going to have a monster offensive season that's going to have him in the Norris discussion again, I would like to see his effort level, his physicality, and just a general sharpness in the defensive zone. That would make me a lot more comfortable than if he continues to struggle in that end, and it makes me think that last year was a one-off. One one little um, different kind of angle to look at from the Dougie situation, as I mentioned, was, um, you know, you guys know I watch Senators hockey a lot, and Dougie and Eric Carlson's injuries were a little different in this sense, but both of them um, – especially with Eric Carlson after his ankle injury, he could never really get back um, to what made him so effective, um, especially his two-step acceleration from behind his own net. You know, he could just burst past any any player coming at him and just separate from them at will. 
he's never really got back to that after, you know, the surgeries and stuff that he's gone through. And that would be my one concern um, with Dougie is just, especially at his age and, you know, with what he's, what he's dealt with um, at this point, especially even with the long layoff, you know, kind of hampering getting back into the game and getting back to the level and comfort level he was playing at uh, previously last year. It's, you got to ask the question if he can get back to that level. And if, if he can't, then you, you got to really wonder if you can commit that kind of money. Well, and we've already talked about the money, the term and the money are going to play a big part in if he resigns here or not. But I will say a broken bone is a lot different from tissue damage and going under the knife. So yeah. that structural damage can cause a lot more chronic problems, but just breaking a bone, you should be able to come back from yeah. that. So the one thing I don't want to hear when, or if Dougie doesn't sign is that Dundon is cheap. Yeah. Because I don't, I think like everything Dundon's done on the like a hockey ops side of things has been proving the opposite of that. You know, like he's going to spend money on the players that want to be here. And he's going to spend money on players to make the team better. It's just, if they view Dougie as a risk, they're not going to sign him, you know? Yeah. And so that's something to keep in mind for the future. So the last question we have um, is from, I think it's Jerzyn on Twitter. It's X-E-R-X-S-I-O-N. Saying, which prospect do you guys think will have good chemistry with either another prospect in the system or a core player on the Canes current roster? I'm going to go ahead and say it. We talked about him earlier. Potomaryov, because of how well he can adapt to every single situation. I think that's my pick. He's such a smart player that I think he can get chemistry with anybody on the roster right now. <laughs> yep. Um, for the same reasons as you just mentioned, um, I would offer my pick of Jamison Reese. Um, you know, he can play in any role, anything that you ask of him, he can do. Um, the way he plays, right? He's pesty. He's aggressive. He doesn't back down from anybody. So his line mates will be more confident um, being out there on the ice with him. Not to mention he's a very skilled guy who can open things up not only for himself but for his line mates. So I think no matter what kind of role you put him in, whether he's at center or whether he's on the wing, um, he's going to have chemistry with a lot of guys and he will help elevate other guys on the team to a new level. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> I got two ringing around in my head. I'll make them both quick. Um, so the first one, Ryan Suzuki with Andrei Svechnikov. His pace and passing mm-hmm. ability, Svechnikov will score 60 goals. And Seth Jarvis with Martin Natchez for pretty much the same reason, except for Jarvis will score 60 goals playing with Natchez. I think both of those two duos would be absolutely fantastic and lethal. Yeah, I can agree with that. We've had a lot of fun talking with y'all, so we want to thank you very much. As always, if you do like the show, feel free to either leave us a rate or send one of us a message. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. And uh, until next time, let's go Canes.